Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover, and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft or by cunning and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be any uproar of the people. Now in Jerusalem at this time, there were probably almost a million people who would come for these feasts, so they were concerned about an uproar that they could create because so many had come to know Jesus and to follow him. So they wanted to be very careful at how they made these accusations. Verse 3, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? And we know from the book of John, the same passage, that the one who made that statement was Judas. Verse 5, For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble you her? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever will you may do them good. But me you have not always. She has done what she could. She's come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that hath been done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. This is one of those strange passages that we look at and ask ourselves, why would God include this in this inspired work? Is it a great story? Yes. Does it leave us with a strong impression? Yes. But God would not include this if there wasn't something so significant held within the truth of this that by itself, if this was the entire gospel, if this is what we knew, that this woman came believing so much about this man, having understood so much, and we know from the other scripture that this woman is Mary, a life totally changed, encounters that she had seen, different things that she had experienced, lives that had been totally, radically changed before her eyes, and now she comes, and if we didn't know any of that, we do know this. She loved someone so much, cared for him so much, that this was the action that she took. And I know this is a diff- probably a ridiculous illustration, but I, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I love the movie The Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. He was pretending to be somebody that he wasn't so that he could live a life that he could not have otherwise had. And he is found out. And so they have him in the stocks, his head sticking through, his arms are sticking through, and the crowd is now harassing him and throwing things at him. And Prince Edward, the black prince, comes onto the scene. You remember, he takes that hood off, walks out, and he's standing right there at Heath Ledger's head. And he makes a comment about both of them pretending to be somebody that they couldn't. And neither one of them were successful at it. And he tells the prince, you you need to leave. And he says, no. The next line is a profound line. Because the black prince says, your men love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. Man, that was profound. Your men love you. If that's all I knew, that would be enough. Mary loves you. If that's all I knew, 
would that be enough to set our hearts in the same position to where we too would love Jesus this way? This woman, a story of fractions that we know about this woman named Mary, but who was willing in all humiliation to put herself in a position where she would go and buy something so precious, probably exchanging almost all that she had so that she could have this in her hands, went through all the mental gates, all the emotional gates that were necessary for her to enter into the place where these men were, hold this box over this man's head. And can, can you imagine doing this to any human? Can you imagine stepping in, in in some act of obedience, in some act of love, putting yourself in this position, stepping through all of these mental and emotional gates that she had to get through to somehow make this big enough and important enough that she would actually do it, spend the money that it took to put her in position to get there, stand behind him or around him, break the box, and let this stuff inside pour down over his head. I am impressed by Jesus' response, but I am overwhelmed by this poor village woman, the way the song goes. One day a poor village woman, having this love for her Lord, you know, suddenly, recklessly, poured out this ointment on top of his head, disregarding the scorn. How many of us, I'll turn this corner because I've got a question that I want to ask. We're probably going to be very brief, but I want to turn this corner, and then we're kind of left with this question. How could she love him that much? How could Mary love him that much? If you remember three weeks ago now, I guess, or two weeks ago, when Jay's standing here, and I'm sitting over there, and he's preaching, and he made a comment. He looked at me, and he says, I don't have any idea how much my mom and dad love me. He says, I do not know. I can imagine, but I don't know. But next November, when they put that baby in my arms, I will know how much my mom and dad love me. Why? Because some things have to be experienced before you can know them. You can talk about them, but it is that experience that allows us to go into an understanding that we otherwise can talk about and imagine, but cannot fully understand because it takes the experience. And you've heard me share it before. That's why I'm so concerned about people whose salvation came intellectually going through what they were supposed to do, praying the prayer they were supposed to pray, repeating what they were supposed to repeat, doing what they were asked to do because some parent or some friend was going with them, and recognizing that they never experienced the love of God. They never experienced that moment when their sins that was going to send them to hell when their sins that were going to cause them an eternal separation from God, when that sin nature that they had received from Adam was going to do as as the verdict had been offered, the wage of that sin is death, an eternal death, that we feel the love of God when he spread out his hands and he overcame that sin and he took my sin away, he nailed it to that cross and now I'm free and we experience the love of God who did that for me so that I can be free forever. I experience the love of God. What's going to happen when I experience that kind of love? This will happen. What would prompt her to do this? to go and love him this way so that her life was drastically and radically changed. What would prompt her to do it? She had experienced 
the love of God. There is no way she would have done this out of something intellectual, some concept that she held in her head, some philosophy that she had heard. This was such a pure and simple act of love. It's only an act of love that can come because it was born in an experience. Most of us, even within the Christian church, will hold our hand up and say that I am saved. But if most were honest, and the question were changed just slightly, in saying, can you tell us what it was like when you first experienced fully the love of God? Hands are going to drop. What do you think it would be like for you to be in a position of death and someone to sacrifice their life for you, knock you out in front of a moving car, get you out of the way, and they die? What do you think is going to be happening in you in that moment that you just experienced that kind of love, that kind of sacrifice? What's going to be going on inside of you? Through that kind of experience, what's going to be going on inside of you? I guarantee there is nothing, absolutely nothing that you wouldn't do to try to help that family, to try, if that person survived, to try to help them because of such a great act of love that they demonstrated towards you that you just now experienced everything in your life from that moment forward would change because someone loved you that much. I have come to a strange conclusion. And it may be one that that you totally disagree with. But most Christians have never experienced the love of God. We hold it as a concept. Something that we believe in, that we talk about, how much God loves us. But have never experienced, and I'm talking an experience that engages us fully, have never experienced the love of God. And some things you cannot know until you experience them. It's kind of a very improper word, I guess. It's gut check time. These are not days of casual faith. These are not days of casual relationships. The challenges are too big. The future has too much promise. There's too much goodness in front of us for us to move into all that God had intended. Even with the uncertainty that we have, I don't know exactly what it looks like. But Jay talked about on Sunday night that I don't believe that the days of the emergency room are over, but God's calling us into something else. I can tell you one of the things that kind of stays constantly on my heart that God is calling us to is to become a church. Instead of a gathering of people who come together, who love each other, care for each other, will help each other, but are still lacking that glue that creates a family, a unit, and something that is powerful in the kingdom. That I believe with all my heart that the next phase of what God is going to do is he's going to teach us how to live in that connection that has eluded us for seven and a half years. I don't know what that looks like, but it's pressing on my heart, constantly pressing an undefined quantity, an undefined ingredient that makes glue, glue. Rhea and Amanda have... uh, at the bottom of their notes says, you know, where our heart is, is encouraging people in this First Baptist Church of Sundown to step into the destiny that has already been spoken. Do you realize that there's been a destiny spoken over you and your family, over, your, over yourself individually, that God not only has a destination for you, he has a destiny for you right here? 
and, and asking, do we have the courage to step into it? I shared with you all several years ago now a sermon about when we're little, we stand in front of really big mirrors. And why do we see when we're little and we look into these mirrors? Why do we see? We see presidents. We see doctors. We see astronauts. We see pilots. We see all kinds of things. Because when we're little, we look into this big mirror and there's nobody to tell us we can't. There's no one to tell us to be afraid. There's no one to tell us to try to make us look small. But what happens on this side, when we begin to get bigger, what happens to the mirror? It really begins to get small. So small sometimes we have to duck to see ourselves. Why do we quit dreaming big dreams? There is a voice, a real one, speaking to us who, who loves to kill, who loves to steal, and who loves to destroy. The devil tells us we can't. The devil tells us to be afraid. He uses that word a lot, not worthy. He's not worthy. And he does it through many people, many, many voices, telling us how insignificant we are. And God's saying, no, that's not what I wrote. That's not what I wrote about you. That's not the story. Greatness for us now isn't looking into a mirror where we see ourselves. Greatness now is looking into the mirror or looking into the face of God and realizing how big a story he wrote about us. And most of us are living the smallest version of a great story. Because we don't have the hearts to dream any bigger than we do because we can't even see ourselves because so many voices have told us, you're worthless, you're insignificant, you're unimportant, you can't do it. I believe we're at a point in, this, in our individual lives in this church that we're going to have to make a decision, are we going to step into our destiny or not? Are we going to be the people that God has called us to be? And we're kind of living there. But I will assure you, we have no chance of stepping into the greatness that God intended if we don't first experience the love of God to the degree that would cause us to overcome the scorn, the ridicule, the pressure, everything that is in front of us, to go and demonstrate such a great act of love to Jesus. That was not possible had there not been her receiving the love of God first. Remember what we say? You can't give what you don't have. Had she not experienced great love, received great love, she would have never been able to turn and release great love because she wouldn't have ever had it. Most of us have never received that great love. Does it register? He died. God had one son, and he offered that son so that I could be forever free of my sin, eternally bound for heaven, clean to receive the Holy Spirit. He did all of that because... Why? He loves. Scott used it in the sermon at Mary Ann Turner's funeral. For God so loved the world. He gave what he only had one of so that anybody, anyone, could experience that love and have eternal life. doesn't get much more simple. I want to make it even more uncomfortable. Here's a woman who uh, we read about and did what she did. Came into the room, broke the box, let it pour over Jesus' head. That fragrance then filled the room. Felt the scorn of the ones who said you wasted the money. Could have bought food and given it to the poor. She's still standing there under this scorn and under this ridicule. And Jesus says, stop. Anybody who ever preaches this or teaches this is going to tell of the greatness of Mary. And we stand in church singing hymns and praises to him and can't seem to get our hands to leave our side. Just live in the comparison for just a moment. I know this is probably grossly unfair to ask this kind of question, but this is the kind of question that somewhere has to be asked. 
her great love said, I'm, I'm going to offer you this gift. And Jesus says, no, this was the anointing for my burial. This will always be taught with greatness because of Mary and what she did. She did everything she could do. Notice that it said in there, she did all the way up to her ability. God is not asking you to do beyond your ability. He's asking you to do everything in the fullness of your ability. Because that's exactly what she did. To the fullness of her ability, she did what she could do because she said, I want to say, I love you. Every bit of that was the gift she offered. And people say, well, you know, I can, I can praise God and not raise my hands. Absolutely true. Remember this. Praise. Every move you make. I don't know what that song is. Every move I make. I take in you, every move I make, I make in you, every breath I take, I take in you. Everything we do is a gift given to him in praise. If you're patting your foot, it's a gift offered in praise. Everything that you do in praise is a gift because it's, every gesture is the gift. That's what she was telling him. Every gesture of this moment is a gift to you because I love you. And we have been so thoroughly trained to do exactly, strangely, what Judas did. What did he do? He applied logic to something that, that, where logic couldn't even begin to explain what she had done. She, she did something out of love that was fully expressive, and Judas began to apply logic to it and say how unnecessary that was. That could have been, something else could have been done, and we could have blessed the poor. And Jesus says, the poor will always be here. I won't be. She will be remembered eternally for this gesture. And we find ourselves living in the difficulty of a free expression of our love for God, of our love for what Jesus has done, our love for the giving of the Holy Spirit. These are great questions. I can't answer them for you. When I realized that my wife loved me, there was nothing that I wouldn't do. When I experienced her love coming back at me, I could probably almost define the moment for you when, when that actually occurred. That day when, when I saw her, I could stand in the place where she first told me she loved me. I could walk to that spot right now. And if that can change us that much, how much does that love of God who died to show us how much he loved us? What would I not ever do? What would I ever hold back from somebody who loved me that much? Mary proved it. And God, I love the last line. Let me just read it. We'll be dismissed with that. I'd love for that to be said of us as well. Verily I say unto you, verse 9, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Like to have that said about us? I hope so. I hope we aspire to be known as she was known for her great love of the Savior of her life. She had experienced this love because she couldn't have done it if this had just been intellectual. She did it because somewhere back here in her past, she had experienced the love of God.